Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst, Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. It's Eric again, alongside Rod, and we're going to be talking about our number six team, the Purdue Boilermakers. Last season overall, they were 29-8 and eight with 14-6 and six in the Big Ten. They lost in the Sweet 16 by three to everybody's darling, St. Peter's. They were number 14th in Ken Palm rankings. They were number two in offense, and they were number 93 on defense. Number fifth in three-point shooting. Number 13th in two-point shooting. Number 13 in offensive rebound percentage. Number 15 in free throw attempts per, uh, per game. And the, although they were only 191st in free throw percentage, they were 116th in turnover percentage. But on defense is really where the story is for the Purdue Bullermakers last year. On defense, they were number 134 against the twos, gave up a lot of three attempts, and were only number 42 in percentage of opponent points scored from threes. So they've made it to the Big Ten tournament finals. They lost pretty handily to Iowa, especially Iowa pulled away in the second half. And they had, the I think, one of the deepest runs probably for Big Ten teams in the NCAA tournament, but it still wasn't that deep. And they were... Everyone's consensus pick to win the Big Ten pretty easily. And that first game, maybe it was the second game where they played Rutgers and Rutgers beat them in uh, Piscataway on that Ron Harper half-court shot, you suddenly saw a Purdue team that, well, oh, they're vulnerable. And I think everyone's perception immediately changed of what this Purdue team was and that the Big Ten was more wide open than people originally thought. Yeah, and, and that is how it played out, of course. They didn't win the Big Ten in the regular season. They didn't win the tournament. And they didn't get to a final four. So 0 for 3. And I will admit to being someone who was loudly proclaiming that Purdue was easily the best team of the Big Ten coming into last season. Just to refresh people's memory, there was a lot of national media heat on Michigan as the Big Ten favorites, which I thought made zero sense. And I think the way the season turned out (laughs) – demonstrated that they were not nearly at the level they were the year before they had lost too much and hadn't adequately replaced it, particularly at the point guard really hurt them, but they were much worse defensively on and on and on. But Purdue to me was the obvious pick because they had everybody back. I thought they would be a gangbuster team offensively. And that part I got right. The number two offense of the country, I believe only Gonzaga was better. Um, and, and that's pretty remarkable to do when you're, what did you say they were in turnover percentage? 119. Uh, they were 116. Yeah, that's not great. And especially by Big Ten standards, that's not great. You know, the Big Ten is littered with teams in the top 20 in turnover percentage. For you to be that poor 
in turnover percentage and still end up with the number two offense, what that tells you is you shot the ball phenomenally well. And they did. They shot it from three fantastically. They shot it from two fantastically. They had elements that no other Matt Painter team through his whole tenure have had, largely because of Jaden Ivey. They actually had a transition game where typically they don't. Um, so they could score that way uh, with him just running the ball down people's throats. They could certainly score on the half court, and, and they were a great offensive rebounding team too, so they could get second chances when they did miss. All those elements. What I did not see coming was the fact that they would essentially be a Fran McCaffrey team, great offensively and horrible defensively. Nobody saw that coming. The year prior with, again, essentially the same cast, they were, I think, 34th defensively, nationally. So not elite, elite, but anytime you're in the top 40, you're pretty good. And that's in keeping with what they've been throughout most of Matt Painter's tenure. Purdue teams under Matt Painter generally are pretty good defensive squads, you know? So it was not reasonable to see them falling as hard and as fast as they did. But the warning signs were there early, and it just never changed. They could not guard anybody. Some of it, I think, was a guy like Jay Nivey, who I like his future a great deal, and there's no reason why he shouldn't be a good defensive player when you look at his physical tools, but the fact is he wasn't very good last year, and he played a much bigger role than he had the year prior. So maybe that was part of it, but that's, that's not enough to explain it on its own. They just, across the board, they were just bad. And I think ultimately if you're looking for one thing to point to that prevented them from accomplishing any of what I assume their preseason goals were to win a big 10 championship, win a tournament championship and go, you know, get to the final four, go deep in the tournament. That's a big part of the reason why they didn't accomplish any of those objectives is that they just couldn't guard people. And, and so that's, it's a mystery to me why it happened. I've still not really seen it adequately explained, uh, but it was the truth. It's there in black and white in the numbers. So um, they, you know, they could, they weren't very good guarding inside the arc. And then they gave up a ton of three point attempts. They gave up a relatively high percentage of makes on them, but to be uh, 42nd from the bottom, in percentage of points you're giving up to opponents from three, that's not just luck. At that point, that's, oh, you're giving up a lot of clean looks too, in my view. That's what that number is telling you. So they just, they couldn't do it. The only thing they did reasonably well is they didn't foul people very much. But other than that, defensively, man, it was it was not good. Is that a reflection? I mean, I know you said you don't, you couldn't quite puzzle it out. If you If you look at their roster, from the year prior, pretty much everybody is back. The only thing that was different um, is that you had you had a marginal, uh, and I'm drawing a blank on the kid's name, Wheeler, the power forward who had a really good freshman season and then never quite made it. He transferred out, but he was replaced by First, who's a better player. <laughs> so, yeah. and what? And by the way, was not really that that was not the source of their defensive problems. It's, it's hard to understand. Again, the one thing I can point to is Jaden Ivey took some time 
to come on as a freshman. He had some injury troubles early, and then it took some time for him to find himself. Whereas last season, he was playing heavy minutes from the get-go. Um, but that's not, an, even with his shortcomings, that's not enough to explain it. I just think team-wide, there was just a lack of attention to detail. I think maybe, maybe as a group, they fell in love with themselves offensively too much and never, mm-hmm. you know, look, I, I can, I can look at this from, because it's an interesting question. I can look at this from a Michigan state perspective and something that, you know, would, would drive fans batty is even in years where MSU brought everybody or nearly everybody back from a team that was very good the year prior, it would take weeks at a time to find themselves in the next season, you know, to be, to be locked in defensively, to not have turnover problems that were massive, maybe only, you know, serious (laughs) rather than massive, but you get my point (laughs) that you would think, and I think the expectation a lot of fans have is, well, if it's all the same guys, they're playing for the same coach. It just ought to be, Hey, beat goes on, pick up right where you left off at the end of last season. It doesn't work that way. And part of the reason it doesn't work that way has been historically that coaches don't get nearly as much time as I think many fans assume they do to work with their teams during the off season. They get more now than they used to, but it's still not a ton. So it's easier than you might think to lose that continuity. And I do wonder if that's what happened to Purdue. And again, that this team was so good offensively, so talented, that maybe as a group, they just kind of fell in love with that and you didn't have the same commitment to defense. I mean, when I think of Matt Painter teams, one of the first things that comes to mind, they've had good offensive teams before, but one of the first things that comes to mind is I think of teams that are physically tough, that kind of fight you, you know, some of the, some of the same characteristics that Michigan state has, you know, and it just didn't seem that way last year. They were soft by Purdue standards, not on the glass, but as a defensive group, they just, they didn't, they didn't make it as, as much of a fight as they usually do in the half court, you know? Well, and, and so that's also the thing, you know, you wondered, was there a coach who departed who was maybe their scout for defensively that would change the painters, you know, previous they year, did I don't lose know. Micah Shrewsbury, who I believe I believe I've got that right. I think he came from Purdue. I believe that's where he was rather than yeah. with um, with Brad Stevens. I just can't remember for sure as we're talking the timeline with him, but I think he was in a stint at Purdue. So there was, th- th- uh, that might've explained some of it, but man, Matt Painter's been doing this a long time. I mean, he's he's been the head coach there, what, like 15 years or so? So there's continuity. He's got to be the second longest tenure yeah, coach. Yeah, they know what they're doing in that program. So to me, that doesn't explain it. I Absent a repeat this year, I'm just going to chalk it up to being one of those things in a very ill-timed development, considering that they had offensively, God, uh, probably yeah. the best Purdue team since Glenn Robinson was there on the offensive end. And that team would have only been better because they had a superstar like Glenn Robinson. Last year's Purdue team was probably deeper in terms of just the number of really gifted offensive players they had. But I mean, that's, 
that that's the disappointment is if you're a Purdue fan, boy, you had the team that you look at on paper and say, this is a group that can win the whole thing, you know, and to get bounced in the sweet 16, not win any big 10 championships. That's hard. To, that, that's gotta be a really hard position to be in because if you're a Purdue fan, you also know, well, you're not presented with that opportunity every single year. You know, this isn't Duke. This isn't Kentucky. It's not even Michigan state. Um, you know, you get these opportunities once and obviously they're normally very good. I don't mean to suggest they're not, but last year they looked like a team that could be more than very good. That doesn't come around every year. And on top of everything else, more than very good and really, really experienced too. So it's like you're checking. They had an NBA talent, at least one in Jaden Ivy, right? They had depth. They had incredible size. Um, they had experience all over the roster. They could shoot. They had everything you want, and they still didn't get it done. That would be hard to yeah. hard to grapple with if you were a Purdue fan, I would think. And, and you got beat by Saint. You got beat by Saint Peter's too. Let's not forget that. Right. Yeah. The little engine right. that could. Yeah, it felt if it the season felt a little bit like the Denzel season senior year where you thought this team was going to do a lot and they, you know, get bounced way earlier than you expect. The, the Denzel team, the Denzel team at least won a Big 10 tournament. You're they did right. one yeah. thing, you know. <laughs> that, that this <laughs> Purdue team didn't do anything. That's what right is always says you've got to hang a banner, right? Hang a banner. Do we hang any banners? They are true trophies. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the nexus of that that team, Jaden Ivey, uh, he was drafted number five. We mentioned last show drafted, uh, right after Keegan Murray, he had a good soft a freshman year, but sophomore season exploded. He averaged 17.3 points a game at 4.9 rebounds per game, shot 46, 36 and 74 finished third in the team in assists with 110, which is a little over three a game. Uh, and then as you mentioned, hit a little bit of issues with defense, but I mean, a fantastic year player of the year candidate too. And, uh, Big Ten Player of the Year candidate. Well. You know, I, I mentioned this on our Iowa uh, episode. You know, the the decision at the four and five spot in the draft. Sacramento was picking fourth, Detroit fifth. As a Pistons fan, my concern was that Sacramento would take Ivy and leave the Pistons really with not much choice but to take Keegan Murray. Not that Keegan Murray isn't or won't be a good player, but I just felt. I felt two things, one for Detroit's positional needs and two, the chance of one of those two guys emerging into a true superstar at the NBA level, rather than just being a good player. I felt Jaden Ivey right. was that guy. Now Keegan Murray may end up a better player, but to me, Jaden Ivey is a guy. If you saw him play last year, you saw a very, a very similar style to guys like Jabberant. Uh, Russell Westbrook at his best, John Wall at his best, these super athletic guards, some of them with size and, you know, height and, um, and frame strength like Jaden Ivey has. I mean, Russell Westbrook, I think is a pretty good comparison in that way. Uh, Jaden Ivey last year was just, uh, every time I saw him, it was like he was, the court was slanted downhill for him. 
And he yeah. was, he truly gave Purdue an element they've never had, not only under Painter, under Gene Cady, they never ran like that. Jaden Ivey was a one-man transition game for Purdue, and it really made them that much more effective offensively because they got easy baskets they just typically don't get. Sure. Gives you more open looks than three and all those things in transition, right? That you didn't, yeah, you have somebody who's that much of a threat to score at the rim. He's got a lot of room to get better. I mean, he could get better as a shooter. He could get better as a decision maker, cut down on the turnovers. He could get a lot better defensively. But I think in terms of raw upside, and married to pretty good production too, he was the guy. And at that, you know, at that range, once you got past the first three guys in the draft, to me, he was fourth. And the fact that he was there at five, I was very happy about. No disrespect to Keegan, uh, to uh, Keegan Murray, but I just felt that way about Jay Nivey, that Jay Nivey has a chance that five years from now, we could be talking about him as an all-NBA player. I think there's that potential in him, whereas I'm going to be kind of surprised if we're talking about Keegan Murray that way five years from now. Right. You definitely think that his ceiling is a higher than, than Murray. Yeah, absolutely. Just because of the athleticism. Yeah. Right. He can do more things. Yeah. And he'll have the ball in his hands more. You know, they'll play through him more than Keegan Murray. who's probably going to be a four man. You know, you're just Jaden Ivey is going to be, I think the way they're going to use him is interchangeably with um, Cade Cunningham in terms of putting the ball in his hands. So he's going to be in attack mode and have the opportunity to create things for himself much more readily, but in any event, getting back to what he meant for his team last year, this is a huge loss for Purdue because they have no other Jaden Ivey. They haven't <laughs> had a Jaden Ivey, you know, Michigan state to use another, you know, big time, big 10 program has had guys over the years, maybe not quite the same package as Jaden Ivey, but Michigan state says, we know has had a lot of guys who were very athletic you know, could make those, I call them those 99th percentile plays where they, they do something about a player two on the court that you look at and just think there's nobody else out there is capable of making that play. And oftentimes that is a separator between good teams and great teams as if you've got a guy who could do that. And Jay Nivey was that kind of guy. And yeah, they're, they're not going to replace him anytime soon. So it's a very big loss. <laughs> obviously yeah next is Travion williams six nine big big guy uh from detroit he was strangely ended up in a reserve role starting only four games and played remarkably well considering that you know didn't seem to pout or have uh, problems with that coming off the bench averaging 12 points a game 7.4 rebounds a game shot 55 36 and 60 in 20 minutes a game led the team in assists with 112 and uh, as very creative passer he single-handedly, I feel like he um, he won that game and turned their season around. Was it a, and turned his career around actually at Purdue a couple of years ago in in Breslin. And, Absolutely, and he's a guy that was who his, was that was his debut. Yeah, really. that was his debut, and he's a guy. Wasn't he the? It was so the question between Marcus Bingham and Travion Williams. Is that correct? Yep. And and I guess you'd say, well, Michigan State picked wrong if they if it was their decision to make. Yeah, and that's look, that's no disrespect to Marcus Bainham, but you know, you, you have to go back in time and see where those guys were coming out of their junior seasons. So Trevion Williams missed a lot of his junior season due to a foot injury. And he was already overweight, but he put on a lot more bad weight while he was 
convalescence. I saw him in that spring afterwards. So the spring after his junior year and Marcus Bainham was at that point kind of coming out of nowhere. He had grown some and he had really started to develop rapidly. And if you watched him, you also saw him showing some perimeter game, which with his length, you know, was really exciting. Mm -hmm. Conversely, Trevion Williams looked was not didn't just look was really out of shape and i think there was starting to maybe be some question well is this kid motivated sufficiently to get himself a better physical condition even with all that weight he was still the top offensive rebounder in eybl that spring so you saw the hands and the Mm -hmm. ability to just you know out compete guys on the glass at times But boy, he was just, and he'd always had a really advanced sense of vision, ability to make passes. And he's also a remarkably, he might be the best ball handling true big that I've ever seen. He has a guard's handle. I mean, he really does. So he had a lot going for him. I was a fan, but I understood why, you know, there's a certain point in time that people expected him to go to Michigan state. He was, he had gone to high school in the Detroit area originally from Chicago, but he had gone to high school in Detroit. And there was a point in time that Michigan state was expected to be the place he landed. And then it shifted around that time. And my understanding is Michigan state kind of started to emphasize Marcus Bingham more. Trevion Williams goes to Purdue and it was the right move for him. I mean, if you are a big man, who's got game and you are out of shape. (laughs) The only other place that I would say, certainly in that part of the country, maybe anywhere in the country that I would say other than Michigan state that you should go to is Purdue because they emphasize big man play. They utilize their bigs. They're not out there just setting screens and as window dressing, they get big men, the ball, they play through them. And they also know what it takes to get a big kid into shape. They did it with Caleb Swanigan. They've done it. They did it with AJ Hammonds. They've done it with a lot of guys, just like Michigan State has over the years. So he made a very smart decision for himself. And I think he had a great career at Purdue. You know, offensively and as a rebounder, I don't think there were many flaws. I mean, this is a guy who was really, really good as a post player, made plays for others with his vision. Um, and he actually developed a little bit of a face-up game offensively late in his career. You mentioned that whatever it was, 36% from three was not on high volume, but that was progress. Yeah. Um, however, there was one glaring issue that I think is probably going to keep him from having a long or serious NBA career or maybe one at all. Um, and it was a problem for Purdue last year, and that's defensively. He just, even though he got in a much, much, much better shape, he is limited in terms of his ability to move his feet, to move laterally, his foot quickness, all of that. And it shows up in the modern game way too much. So for as much as he gives you on the offensive end, it was a problem at times defensively. Uh, Michigan State fans, go back to the final play of the game Michigan State against Purdue at Breslin. What does Michigan State do? They put Tyson Walker 
in a pick and roll with, I think it was Marcus Bainham, but it was whatever big was out there that Williams was guarding. And they get, they managed to get Williams in a switch. So now Travion Williams is guarding Tyson Walker. It was game over. The only thing that was going to bail Purdue out is if Tyson just missed the shot. Right. Yeah. Because you knew he was going to get a clean look. And he did. He used his handle and the threat of his quickness to be able to create space where he had a wide open three and he nailed it ball game. Um, Travion Williams tried, but he just did not have the physical capability to do more than he did on that play. And I think that moment was kind of emblematic of where the problems were for him. I do want something you mentioned though, before we turn to the next guy that I do want to give him credit for though, as you said, he had been a starter I think even part of his freshman season and pretty much all of his sophomore and junior year, but Zach Eady was coming on so strongly that they decided that was a better look to start him. Trevion Williams minutes didn't change much. He still played a little bit more than Eady. He averaged just over 20 minutes a game, but I think the change in the role, a lot of guys who had had the career that Trevion Williams had had to that point would have been upset by that move just symbolically. He and I, and I actually mentioned it last season as one of my con- few concerns about that team was, look, if this happens, how is Trevion Williams going to handle it? What's that going to do to the team? It, it was never a problem from what I could tell. He seemed like the consummate teammate. He was engaged on the bench, um, never pouted, came in and played hard and played well when, when he was asked to off the bench. So give credit to him for really showing a level of maturity. Because uh, a lot of guys wouldn't have handled it that well. And certainly loyalty, too, for a team that took a chance on you in some ways and helped recreate your body and uh, bring you along. And and with the transfer portal, right? I mean, the, the cost to leaving the team is a lot different than it was a few years ago. Right. Right. So let's talk about the next player departure is Sasha Stefanovic, 6'5 wing, a really good shooter, veteran presence. He averaged 10.4 points a game on 39, 38, 87 shooting. He decided to turn pro, and he's playing in Greece. And he was a guy who definitely could really hurt you some games. But I would, I felt, especially near the end of the season, he kind of just disappeared at times, and which is strange for a guy who was as good as he was shooting. But he, he was a guy who didn't need much separation on those pick and rolls. And so, all right, off a screen, I mean, he just he to just bury it in a hurry. Very quick release, and thus a very tough cover. I. If I recall correctly, I didn't go back before this to check the stats, but my recollection is that Michigan State did a pretty good job on him at the win at Breslin. I don't remember hurting us too much. Right, and and I think Michigan State did a pretty good job getting around those screens because that's the cha- that was the challenge with Stefanovic is he he knew how to use screens effectively, and Purdue runs that motion game where everybody's constantly setting picks or moving, and boy, he knew that you know in year four he knew that thing cold and had such a quick release that yeah it was a real challenge to get to him um but you're right there was some inconsistency late in the season i also think you know i know my expectation was okay this is the next guy in the and produce had a line of guys like this the most recent one before him was dakota matthias where you know six four six five good shooter not a superstar, but a really good college player and somebody who's solid defensively. 
that never really came along for Stefanovic. He never became the kind of defender that somebody like Matthias was. And I think that was, again, Purdue just, you looked up and down that lineup and you just didn't see a lot of plus defenders. But he was a really good shooter. That's for sure. So next we'll go to Eric Hunter Jr. He's six regard, started 19 games, averaged 26 minutes, scored 6.2 points a game, shot 48, 46, and 69, which is quite an improvement previously uh, for this deep shot. Uh, he decided to take his COVID year and left for Butler to go hang out with Thad Mata. Yeah, and that was really a surprise to me. I mean, he is an Indianapolis kid, so he's going home, but. I mean, West Lafayette, Indiana, or Indianapolis, <laughs> come on. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I didn't dig too deeply into this, um, but that had to be a negative. So, and, and, you know, Matt Painter, for a guy who's been as successful as he is, and, you know, really seems to, I, I don't see any outward signs of why there would be issues he has lost some guys in the past. You remember a couple of years ago, Matt Harms, who was right. playing big minutes, left for BYU. And, and again, a big man, boy, you can't ask for, for more than what Purdue presents to you because you actually get used, whereas some places you don't. Um, that one didn't make sense on the surface. I had trouble with that. And this one, too. And the next one we'll talk about. I'm not quite sure what was going on, but again, it's a loss to Purdue because Eric Hunter was a guy with real experience who was a proven shooter, had good size and athletic ability, and just you know knew how to play in their system, played a lot of minutes. I think you said it, 26 minutes a game last year. And you know, it'd be one thing if it was like Stefanovic, and he said, okay, I just want to move on. I'm done with college. Okay, you would have liked to have had him for the COVID year, but you know, he wants to move on. You can swallow that to transfer to another school and not a higher profile school. I mean, no disrespect to Butler, but you know, come on. It just, the only thing I could think of is that maybe he felt like there was a chance to be featured at Butler and just get more shots and play a bigger role in the offense that he would at Purdue. Maybe that, maybe it's as simple as that, but I don't, I don't know. Yeah, and you, there are always other things, too, that you don't know. I mean, maybe there's other reasons to go back home to Indianapolis. Maybe he, the graduate program in Butler is what he wants or something like that, right? We don't know those sorts of things. I don't believe, I don't believe that one. I, they are student athletes, after all, right? <laughs> well, I'm just saying I don't believe that there are opportunities at Butler that are present yeah, at Purdue. That's probably true. <laughs> As a, at the grad level. Yeah. Nick, uh, finally, for players leaving is Isaiah Thompson. He's He was a six-foot player average 4.2 points a game started 20 games played 16 minutes a game he shot 44 42 and 79 again just a reflection of that lethal outside shooting they had he left uh through the portal ended up at the florida gulf coast it's a little easier for me to understand this one but only because he played a lesser role than than hunter he played fewer minutes even though he started a lot but again florida gulf coast the only thing i can figure is They've told him, hey, we're going to get you a ton of shots. Um, but it was surprising to me. And again, a blow. You're talking about three guards who all could have opted to come back, and none of them did. So this is why we're talking about Purdue at number six rather than number one or number two or number three. Right. It's because that's a hole. That's not to say they don't have guys who are maybe capable of filling it, but 
you start the year with a question because they could have had all this experience of proven production back and they don't have any of it. And they lost Ivy, of course, too, from that group after a sophomore year. So their top four guards all gone. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, uh, you almost wonder sometimes these players thought, well, this is going to be our year, and it just didn't work out. Like, ah, okay, I guess the band will just break the band apart and we'll go our own ways. I don't know. Then maybe it's that, but I at least at least in, in Thompson's case, I could see the rationale in terms of role potentially. You would think you get a lot more shots at Florida Gulf Coast, and maybe it's just that simple. Right. So let's talk about the players returning. The first one you can't miss is Zach Eady. He's seven four. A Canadian big man. Uh, he had a coming up party last year. He definitely played a lot. A lot. He started and uh, displaced Travion Williams. He averaged 14.4 points a game, a team high 7.7 rebounds per game, and shot 65% from the floor and 65% from the line. And so, he, I mean, he was much like Isaac Haas, but maybe not quite as strong as Isaac Haas, but I think he's a little taller and bigger. Uh, I mean, you know, if he gets close, it was just. I don't even know if he had to even jump to dunk the ball. <laughs> He's a better offensive player, certainly at an earlier stage than Isaac Haas was. Um, you know, Edie is, and someone I'm going to say is perhaps going to sound overly critical. So I want to get the positives out of the way first. If Zach Edie catches the ball on the blocks, it's over. Yeah. It's just over. You can't, there is no player. I don't care if you're Hunter Dickinson, all seven, one, two sixty of them, whatever he is, looks small next to Zach Eady. <laughs> there is nobody in this conference and in the country who can physically stop Zach Eady. If he catches the ball cleanly, you know, five to eight feet from the basket, he is going to score. Cause he's got, as you said, 60, whatever it was, 64, 65% yeah. from the floor. He, he knows how to finish shots. He will also get some garbage points just again, because of his size. So those are really, really good elements that cannot be, uh, be overstated. In my opinion, that makes him a huge weapon figuratively and literally <laughs> in the Purdue lineup. That said, there are some issues in my opinion with him. First and foremost, um, defensively. For a guy his size, he really doesn't provide the kind of rim protection you might expect. He averaged not even a block and a half a game. So it's not nothing, but 7-4, you would expect, hey, this is a guy who you know, takes away two and a half, three shots a game, right? Right, yeah. They have not... They have not gotten that from him. And I think part of the reason it shows up in other areas of the game as well. He just does not have much mobility. It's, you know, offensively, it's not such a big deal because, you know, Purdue's running game consisted of one guy last year. Now that he's gone, they'll go back to not doing much in transition, most likely. So the fact that he doesn't get up and down the floor, great, is, is not the end of the world for them. But man, it shows up defensively. I think it shows up at the rim. He's not the kind of weak side rim protector you might think he'd be because he can't get over there quickly enough. Um, he really struggles away from the basket. You get him in, out on the floor, it's tough for him. So he hurts them there. Um, the free throw shooting is not an abject disaster, but 
with the amount that he gets fouled, the opportunities he gets, I think you'd like to see a tick better than 65%, you know? And then the last thing is rebounding. His numbers are not bad, but he's just not capable of range rebounding. Right. So if it's in his area, great. He's going to get it because he's just bigger than everybody else. But if it's out of his area a little bit, he's not going to be able to go get you something. So for as good as he is in the areas that are strengths, there are limitations. And, and I guess the final thing too, to talk about as a limitation is his endurance. You know, I don't know if he's capable of playing more, but Matt Painter hasn't pushed it. You know, he averaged like 18 and a half minutes a game last year. And that's about what he played as a freshman. Now I, I will say part of that is probably down to the fact that he had a guy like Trevion Williams and so maybe the fact that he doesn't have that means he leans on Edie a little bit more this year. But that's, again, something else. I need to see it before I buy in. Right. And, and in some ways you look at that and say, you know, that he's putting Travion Williams in there and winning time and uh, that times when he has to have some veteran presence and people who are making good decisions and can, you know, know what they're doing. And is Edie going to be the guy who can do that? Are you going to trust him at the end of the game? Are you going to have to go really small? because you're not going to have a presence like Williams in there to do it to back them up. Yeah, they're, they're going to be different. And as we get through this discussion, it's at least an arguable point that this, if you look at the totality of the team, meaning the defensive end too, they might be better off with what they're going to throw out there this year. It remains to be seen, but I can see an argument for it. But, you know, I'm going to be interested to see how many minutes he plays. So he's... He's a totally unique weapon. Nobody else in major college basketball has anyone like him. And there's certain things he does that you simply do not have an answer for, but it comes with some weaknesses too. Yeah. Spoiler alert. They do not have another seven, four player on their team to replace ED, although someone close. They <laughs> do have talk- a seven foot two guy. Yeah, we'll talk about him in a little bit. Uh, so next returning player is Mason Gillis. Five or uh, sorry, six foot eight. I, can I, oh, go can ahead. I stop you there for just a second. Yeah. There's an interesting stat I read. This is phenomenal to me. Purdue is working on a streak of 14 years in a row where they have at least one seven foot player on the roster and 12 years in a row where they have at least one who's seven foot two or taller. That is remarkable, remarkable in an era where you do not see that kind of size at the major college level as much as you used to. I think in general, we could say things, not so much of the Big Ten, but most of the country, things have gotten maybe a little smaller than they used to Mm -hmm. at the five as the game has evolved. But man, not at Purdue. Yeah, I mean, at this point, you have to figure if you're seven feet tall and you want to be featured at a team for a team at at a major school, at least, Power Five, there's no better place. There's nowhere else you go than Purdue. Because go to Purdue. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you're not very good, you might go to Florida Gulf Coast or some place I, like you that. You know, here's an interesting recruiting thing. There was a point in time that I think there was a consent, maybe not a consensus, but there was a school of thought that Purdue was where Hunter Dickinson was going to land, and that was before Juwan Howard got the job. But there was, you know, so they were in line for a guy who was only seven foot one. But I mean, you're right. If you are that kind of player. You have to look at Purdue. You'd be insane not to. I just, it just seems to me that 
at least in terms of quality guys, we're seeing fewer of them than we used to. Yeah. I wonder where they're do where they're going. I mean, cause I assume people are just as tall as they were, if not taller than they used to be. You right. It doesn't, right. It doesn't stand to reason um, in that sense. But if you look across college basketball, it doesn't feel like we have maybe a better way of putting it is we probably do have as many seven footers. We don't have as many seven footers playing major roles. Sure. Yeah. As they used to, I think that's probably it. You know, the er the days when, you know, you would have Patrick Ewing and Hakeem Olajuwon in the game, you know, in the college game at the same time, you know, mega stars, mega big men like that. We don't have that anymore. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how many there may be just as many players, but now they're playing for UC Riverside or something like that. That too. Right? That too. Yep. Uh, all right. So let's go to the next player, Mason Gillis, a six eight junior power forward. He definitely came along this season and he started twenty five games, averaged six point four points a game and four point eight rebounds a game in about twenty four minutes. He shot fifty, forty one, and eighty five on the season, and was a, a guy who expect to have a much bigger role this year and really played well last season. He's a good player. I, I really liked him. Um, you know, he'd had some injury problems in his Purdue career, including early last season, but once he got healthy, you know, he just forced his way into bigger minutes and uh, he's, he's really a guy who's capable of doing a lot of things. I think he's one guy who, if his voice can get bigger in that team, might be able to help turn things back around defensively because he's a pretty good defensive player, a pretty versatile defensive player from what I've seen. He's obviously, you look at the three-point shooting, he's capable of stretching the floor. He's pretty well put together, so I think he can do more than he did around the rim. I, I don't know how much more they're going to look to him offensively, although it might be some, but I, I just really like him as kind of a jackknife guy who can help you in a lot of different ways. Um, so good player. And certainly just observationally, just watch him. He certainly seems like a guy who is vocal. And so, you know, it, to your point about being more of a leader, yeah. maybe, maybe he's that guy. Maybe he's the guy who kind of helps direct the defense a little bit too and gets them straightened out. They need people to step forward this year in that capacity, because as I said, they lost their best player in Jay Nivey. And then they lost four other guys who had played a ton of basketball for them in the three other guards and then Trevion Williams. So those, although none of those guys seemed like, you know, they, they weren't going to make you forget Mateen Cleaves as leaders, but they had to have had dominant voices just due to their experience. So now there's a void there. Some other guys have got to step forward and Mason Gillis might be one of those guys. Next returning player we'll talk about is Caleb first. He's a six ten sophomore. He started 12 times uh, while Gillis was recovering from injury and had a really nice season. He averaged 4.1 points a game, 3.2 rebounds a game in only 15 minutes. He shot really well at 57, 42, and 72. And so he has the ability to move, unlike Edie. So he might be uh, either a solution for Edie or backup or you know maybe playing the four spot. He had uh, surgery this offseason because apparently going back to his high school career. So this is a multi-year issue. He would have pain in his heel and he just kind of got used to it, but they finally decided to do something about it this offseason. And so he had surgery to deal with a bone spur. And the thinking is, of course, that's going to 
make him better off in the long run. And I would guess that's, that's the case, but the downside is he hasn't been able to practice this off season until fairly, I think he's practicing now, but until fairly recently. So you don't know what effect that's going to have. If we assume that he's able to get back at something close to hundred percent conditioning and get his game back and all of that, by the time the season starts, then you're talking about a very valuable player. This is a kid Michigan State recruited heavily and wanted badly. And, you know, Matt Painter historically loses more than he wins against Tom Izzo. Uh, Tom Izzo's beaten him for a lot of guys, but most recently Xavier Booker, by the way. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but Painter won for Caleb first. And I'll tell you, I was really impressed last season with what I saw from him. I did not expect him to shoot the way he did. He had a reputation as a decent shooter, but I didn't expect plus 40% right away. And I think over time, he's never going to be, he's not Trevion Williams is a back to the basket guy, but he's got that capability. I mean, I think he'll be a good inside player for them. And as you mentioned, he's got more mobility than they typically have had at that position. So at the five, that is. So if he plays some five, which I think could happen um, as a tag team partner for um, uh, for Edie, I could see that actually benefiting Purdue in a net sense, you know, mm-hmm. because I think he's got the potential to actually be a pretty, he reminds me in terms of his size and his athletic ability, he reminds me a little bit of somebody like Matt Costello. Um, and if you remember Matt Costello, by the time he was a senior became a very good defensive player, particularly as a pick and roll guy. And I see some similar, a similar combination of size and, and mobility in a healthy version, at least at first. So I think he's got a lot more to give and I think he could be pretty good this year, although likely in a reserve role, almost certainly in a reserve role. Uh, next one we'll talk about is Brandon Newman. He's a 6'6 junior, averaging 4.6 points a game on 32, 32, and 79 shooting. He played 13 minutes a game. Uh, and as a freshman, he shot much better at 40, 38, and 94. So definitely a uh, draw, drop down from the previous season where I guess he was a little hurt this season. Well, his problem was the games he just got uh, did not play coach's decision. And he fell way down the pecking order. By the end of the year, he just wasn't playing very much. In fact, I figured he would be a likely transfer candidate. Maybe he was dissuaded from that by seeing the guys ahead of him in the rotation deciding to leave. Yeah. Um, if you want one, one possible answer, and it's nowhere near the totality of it, but one possible answer in a small way, at least for why Purdue went backward defensively, is Brandon Newman's got pretty good defensive ability and his playing time just cratered as last year went along. Whereas his freshman year, which was actually his redshirt freshman year, he played a lot and played increasingly as the year went along. So I think the hope is now that there's a clear open path to him, maybe even becoming a starter again, um, he could help improve Purdue's defense because he's athletic. He's got good size at six, six, kind of a long player and he understands what he's doing defensively, but a key is going to obviously be, can he 
can he rediscover his offensive game? And finally, for a returning player, we'll talk about Ethan Morton. He's a salty 6'7 junior, uh, was a, saw his role increase at Newman's expense. He averaged 15 minutes a game, scoring uh, just 2.4 points a game, shooting 48, 44, and 68. And uh, he had 50 assists to just 17 turnovers. Yeah, he's, you know, the shooting percentage came by leaps and bounds over his freshman year. He came out of high school with a reputation as a mediocre shooter, and he was even worse than that in limited minutes as a freshman. But last year, I think the combination of improved shooting and just his ability to not make mistakes and still make plays for others, he's got good vision and great size at 6'7". Um, that got, and, and that Newman wasn't playing well, got him more and more minutes. And I think he's another guy that's set to maybe even step into a starting role. You know, Purdue, because they run motion, they don't have the same need that many other schools, Michigan State would be included in this, has for a true point guard. You know, if you look at Purdue over the course of Painter's career there, they really haven't often had a guy that you look at and say, well, that's their point guard. You know, I, I mentioned Dakota Mathias a few minutes ago. He led them in assists a couple of times, and he was really a wing. Mm-hmm. Um, you remember Carson Edwards was a point guard sized guy, but he was really a scorer. Yeah. You know, other guys were like Matthias were the playmakers, you know, Ethan Morton fits that role. He's not a guy that you look at and say, well, that's a point guard, but he probably is their best passer. Um, so uh, he does a lot of things that painter likes. I think, especially if he can keep that shooting up or somewhere close to the level that he was at last year, but with more volume, um, he stands to see his role increase pretty significantly. Well, let's talk about the newcomers to the team. The Boilermakers welcome in Trey Kaufman-Wren. He's a 6'9", 225-pound redshirt freshman, highly regarded recruit, top 50 consensus, coming out of high school, but decided to redshirt and just for obvious reasons because there just wasn't much as far as minutes to be played. So now I think he's going to play, what, the four, the five, maybe even down to the three. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting. Um, I've seen speculation in some quarters that he and first are kind of going to be interchangeable between the four and the five because he's a strong kid at six, nine. So he could probably handle some five minutes, especially against certain lineups. Um, I've then seen other people say that because of his handle and his athleticism, he could even handle some three and they may have a need for that. Uh, the one caveat to that is he was in high school for as highly ranked as he was. He was not really a proven jump shooter. That's an area that they say he needs to improve, but lots of talent. I mean, you do not see this typically a top 50 guy red shirts, <laughs> yeah. but he did. And it was not injury related. He practiced all year. They are expecting him to be an immediate factor. And I would, I would expect that as well. Uh, tough to see him breaking into the starting lineup unless somehow they do decide to play him at the three, but I, I don't expect that. Um, I think he and first give them a tag team at the four and the five in reserve. So you look at Purdue's four man group with Gillis and ED starting and those two younger guys as backups. Boy, that's pretty good. Yeah. Not bad. That's a real, once again, they're really strong inside. And then we'll talk about Brian Waddell, a six, eight redshirt freshman. So he's a late add-on to last season's recruiting class. Yeah, he's he's an interesting guy. Very late addition. His, his high school 
uh, won a state championship in Indiana. He's a legacy recruit. People may, some people may remember his dad, Matt Waddell was a point guard on the Glenn Robinson teams at Purdue. So his dad played at a high level there, did a lot of winning. Um, Brian Waddell has good size at six, eight. He reportedly can shoot very well, but he's had these injury issues. And so it's unclear how physically ready he'll be by season's beginning. Um, whether he can find his way into a role or not, I think depends on what Purdue's shooting needs are and how well his shot translates in his first year playing. But it's a possibility that he could crack through with a role in the rotation. I'm just not ready to bet on it yet. Sure. And then David Jenkins, Jr., he's six one transfer from Utah. He averaged eight and a half points a game on 39, 40 and 82 shooting. Yeah. This is a guy who give him credit. He has used the relaxed transfer rules (laughs) to go up the ladder. You may have it in front of you. I think I put it in the notes. Where did he start? He started South Dakota state, then UNLV, then Utah, then UNLV, then Utah, now Purdue. So four schools, each one a progression up the college basketball ladder. Um, he is a, there are certain kind of stereotype Purdue guys. One is the giant center. The other is the guy who was point guard sized, but has no point guard game. <laughs> there was PJ Thompson. Yes. Then there was Carson Edwards. Then there was Isaiah Thompson. Now there is David Jenkins. He is six, one but he is no kind of point guard. He averaged less than an assist a game for Utah last year. So don't expect him to come in and be the playmaker. I think what he is largely is a replacement for what they got out of somebody like Isaiah Thompson. You know, he's an undersized guy who has a proven ability to shoot and that's kind of what he does. And that's what they'll look to him to do at Purdue. Give them a little bit of perimeter scoring punch. How big a role he plays, I think, is yet to be determined, but there's a chance it could be significant, maybe even starting. I don't know. Yeah, you ex- expect that he would make that transfer out of Utah, which is, you know, if they're playing with the Pac-12, that unless he thought he was going to have a bigger role, that or at least an opportunity. Yeah, and he didn't start regularly for Utah. Um, and again, uh, you know, no disrespect to Utah. They're a, historically a solid program, but Purdue is a step up the ladder. Without a doubt. And there's an opportunity, too. Right, absolutely. Right. Uh, Fletcher Lawyer will be the next one. He's 6'4", uh, out of Fort Wayne, Indiana. But obviously, the last name, he's the younger brother of MSU guard, Foster Lawyer, who just finished his career, I think, at Davidson, right? I, or did he announce that he's staying? I can't I think He's, like, he's I feel playing, like he wasn't. He's playing the COVID yeah, year. So he's going to play the COVID year. Yeah, he's year. coming back. Coming uh, back. So anyway, so he's obviously much bigger than his brother. and But aside from that, and I assume he's a good shooter as well. Very, very good shooter. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch. You know, Michigan State was never in this one. They didn't. They just did not seem to be mutual interest, and that's before Foster uh, transferred out. So it had nothing to do with that. Um, it, it, he at six four. That's one obvious difference. And so, even though Fletcher has some limitations, he's not a great athlete probably not much more at this stage than a jump shooter offensively, but because he's six, four, 
you can see more potential for him to hang in there defensively. Um, it'll be easier for him to get his shot. And he is a dead-eye shooter. Um, there's no doubt about that. So, again, because Purdue has these holes in the backcourt and they have a need for shooting in particular, you can see a path to early minutes for him. Um, but we just have to see how it goes. Uh, I don't. I think he'll play a role. I just don't know how big it will be right away. Um, we'll have to see. And I think it'll be dependent upon how all these young or new guys they've added in the backcourt, how everybody develops. And that's not crystal clear at this point. Next is Indiana, Mr. Basketball, a six point six foot point guard from Indiana, Braden Smith. Uh, so he's obviously the hope is to take over the point guard roles at the future, but probably not next year, I would guess. Well, again, injury problems, and that's a common theme. They've got a lot of the, a lot of guys who have been banged up, and it's part of why I say we have to. Where I just mentioned it with Fletcher Lawyer, we have to see how it sorts out uh, because health is going to be uh, determinative of how big a role some of these guys can play. Braden Smith has sat out a good part of the summer, recovering for and the spring too before that. Um, after being Mr. Basketball in the state of Indiana. So they like him. He's a good shooter, tough, uh, kind of a floor leader type, you know, fits the mold of what you'd want. But how ready is he going to be right out of the jump? It's unclear. Uh, next is Cam- Camden Hayde, I think is what it is. Uh, six, seven forward. He missed some time also due to, due to injury with his foot. Uh, so this is like a Michigan State had the foot problems for a while, right? Now Purdue's got all the foot issues. <laughs> but he's a top 100 recruit. Like four guys. Yeah, he's originally from Minnesota. So yet another guy that gets away from the Cofers. Yeah. But um, yeah, they like him as a wing. You know, 6'7", they think he could shoot. They also think when he's healthy, he's got more, you know, the, the two previous guys I mentioned, Lawyer and Smith, are, are at this point really jump shooters. This kid isn't. He, they they believe that he's got more versatility to his game offensively. He can shoot too, but they think he's got more of an off the dribble face up game. So you know, again, if he's healthy, maybe there's a role there. But is he going to be healthy? You don't know. And as we alluded to before, the the seven foot two uh, pipeline continues. Wilberg, two hundred sixty pounds from Sweden. And his expectations to redshirt and to sort of just kind of figure things out and back up Edie unless barring, you know, disaster, I suppose, at the five this season. You're right. An injury might change it, but um, the expectation is that he will redshirt. Uh, the thing they like about him that may separate Berg from some of the other guys they've had in recent years is they think he's actually already got a decent face-up game and range on his jumper. So they think he might in time be a legitimate floor stretching option. They haven't really had as much of that. If you think you look at Edie, he's not a three point shooter. Isaac Haas was not a three point shooter. AJ Hammond's not a three point shooter. The only guy who had a little bit of that was Matt Harms, but his range really didn't get quite out to three. It was more mid range. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, so by and large, these supersized centers they've had have, have been post guys. And that's pretty much it. This kid, they think could be different, 
But again, most likely he's going to get time, you know, unless he just comes in and just bowls people over. And I have not read any suggestions that that's happened, but you know, they might, it might not be made public. So I guess we'll see, but I'm not expecting that, um, that he will make an immediate impact for them. But yeah, I mean, it, it certainly continues the Boilermaker tradition, another seven, two or seven, two plus guy in the mix. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll see where it goes, but boy, you look at the track record, you have to assume there's a reasonably good chance that Will Burks can end up as a good player. So then looking overall at the team, they obviously lost a ton from last season. There's a ton of questions and sort of who's going to take over if those, the scoring roles, the volume and the shooting and whether they'll improve defensively. It's really a crapshoot what this team's going to look like next year. They could be sneaky good or they may be a lot worse than we anticipate. I, I guess it's right. I mean, <laughs> and that's going to, you know, I think again, there are two major issues with this team. One is, can they get back on track defensively? And I think that one, I feel a little more confidence in. And I'm basing a lot of that on the the guy who's coaching the program. Yeah, past history. I mean, Matt, Matt Painter has done it over and over and over again. So I've got to believe that they will find a way to be better at that end of the floor. So I think that one, now that doesn't mean they're great defensively. It just means they're better. We'll see how much better. Um, the second bit though is a little dicier and that's what happens with their guard play. Now it would help a lot if Morton and Newman proved to be very much ready to step into major roles, because if those guys can do that, then they're set. Then they've probably, then they've only got to find one new starter out of all these new guys. You know, if, if Morton and Newman are not major solutions, it becomes tougher because then you're counting on a transfer and all these freshmen, a couple of which have injury problems to deal with. So there are some serious question marks with this team. And, and we've talked about this. There are going to be serious question marks right to the top of this list. The team I pick at number one to win it is going to have many more questions than we typically see in a preseason favorite. So Purdue is no exception. I have them at six, even acknowledging those issues based primarily on two things. One is the coach, Matt Painter. You know, I just think it's more likely than not that to an extent he figures this out and, and picking them at six is not going off crazy deep and I'm not picking them to win it, you know, but I'm expecting them to be a tournament team and to be competitive and in the mix somewhere in the big 10. And I think that's uh, putting some confidence in, in Matt painter and what he typically does. And, and I don't think that's misplaced. The other thing is, for all the weaknesses in the perimeter group, let's acknowledge that post group could be really good. I mean, Edie's got some problems, but the things he does well, you don't have an answer for. I think Gillis could come on this year, and I think the two young reserves are both really good and potentially might actually be quote-unquote better 
or more quote unquote talented to use two words people throw around without always knowing what they mean. Uh, but I think it's possible that that first and and Kaufman are actually more talented than the guys starting ahead of them. Yeah, well, that's a good in totality yeah. as total players. Yeah. Just could do more things are better athletically, you know, those types. That's what I mean. So that's a really good place to start when you can count on that. And you know, you've got four guys for those two spots. You feel pretty good about that. If you're Matt painter, the question is, can you get enough from the other spots? And there always seems to be a surprise team every year that, that overperforms. Is this a team that you see can overperform and win the big 10 or at least tie for the title? You don't see them. You don't see them falling as far as like, you know, 10th or something like that. Certainly. So no, that would, that would take, that would take a lot to me for that to happen. I, I just think they've got enough that that's not in the cards, but winning it, let's put it this way to win it. Morton and Newman have to be really good. Not just, okay, these guys are, serviceable and we're getting solid play from they have to be really good and then they still got to find somebody among all those newcomers that can step into a starting role so you know that's that that bit isn't impossible i think they'll get something out of that group but for morton and newman to be as good as i think they'd have to be for purdue to be a true title contender i would put that as a low percentage probability non-zero but you know 25% maybe that might even be high. I just, I haven't seen either of those guys, you know, they haven't been asked to, I mean, Newman kind of was as a freshman, but even then he wasn't a star. Um, I just haven't seen those guys put in a position where they've delivered or they've been asked to do that much. And, and yet at the same time, I don't, you know, we're going to, we're going to say about Michigan state, for example, a guy like Jade Nakins, I think we both think is, is poised for a big breakout, you know, but there's reason to think that just like there was reason last year at this time to think that Jade Ivy was going to be way better than he was as a freshman. Mm -hmm. You know, there were tangible reasons behind those projections. I don't see that in the cards for either of these two guys. And I, and not to that degree. And I think that's what you'd have to have if you were going to label Purdue as a serious title contender, but could they, could they finish, you know, could they finish third? Could they finish fourth? Yeah, they could finish higher than I've got them. I think that could happen. And they could also finish lower. There's so much volatility this year that, you know, who the hell knows? But for now, this feels about right to me. Yeah, that seems about right to me as well. I Yeah, they don't seem to have that guy lurking in the grass that's going to get get you like a Keegan Murray or John Yeah, Davis. we could be, we could end up surprised, but there's just not, like last year we talk about there was a group of um i guess it was three guys that made huge leaps from freshman year to sophomore year you had keegan murray at iowa you had johnny davis at wisconsin and then you had um jaden ivy at purdue right yep. all three of those guys you could see coming yes maybe not to the level that they got to that was the case with davis and murray less so with ivy ivy pretty much was what i thought he'd be um but you knew they were going to be good. You could see the jump happening. I just don't see that guy on this Purdue team. And maybe I'll be wrong, but I don't see it. 
Yeah, and the difference, of course, then be you'd have to significantly improve in defense or some other aspect of the game that you didn't have last year if you don't have if you lack that superstar, right? Well, I think that'll wrap it up for our discussion of Purdue. Uh, if you enjoy the show and you want to support us, we appreciate your support. You can go to tffinots.com/support. There, you can have opportunities to link to us on Patreon and become a monthly supporter of the show. We also accept one-time gifts via PayPal or Venmo. Uh, also, I'd encourage you to continue to share the show with your friends or other Spartan fans and keep giving us reviews on whatever the podcast player is that you use. The five stars and written reviews are always best. And until next time, the final four is not on the schedule. Go green. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.